This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the weekly fantasy comic Boreal, published by The Manitoban, which you can find at themanitoban.com or a newsstand near you. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Hello, this is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We have a vi- well, we have a full house today, actually. We have Samantha Biko. Hi. Writer and editor and all-around great person. That's right. Started off with a compliment. We have Scott Ford. Hello. Uh, writer and illustrator and all-around great person. Thank you. And we have Justin Curry. <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> writer and no, illustrator no and all-around studio collaborator. He's making Lego right he's, now. He's Clearly. very distracted. Yeah. I hope that the, the mics can pick up this good Lego foley yeah. that we've got going on here. You could just tilt the mic. Super Lego pulp. That's what you all tuned in for, right? Yeah. So well, good. they might have tuned in for us uh, talking about how we make things. And one of the things, uh, some of you might remember Scott's name from a previous episode we did about Arkland, where you were just finishing. You were on the home stretch, That's sliding right. into madness. Wondering how you could possibly meet the deadline. And yet, here we have your uh, completed volume. How many pages is this? Uh, 264. Mm-hmm. Full color pages, a done in one story, humble yes. fantasy, Arkland. How does yeah. it feel? It, it feels amazing, honestly. Um, this, this is my, this is the hugest project I've ever undertaken comics or otherwise. Uh, Previously, I did some shorter comics that uh, were about 30 or 50 pages and some more uh, one-off experimental comics. And so Arkland was my first attempt at uh, making something that, for lack of a better word, is is as epic as I can make it. Uh, It's not traditionally an an epic story, um, but... Uh, if if my other comics were like sort of, sh- you could compare them to to short TV episodes. I wanted to make something that was like a feature length film in comic form, um, that was just a, a huge book, uh, not broken up into separate issues. Um, has lots of different characters, lots of different colorful environments, robots, crazy creatures, things like that. A full um, world to explore. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to uh, make this this colorful, whimsical universe that people could step into for for however long. I recently watched The Dark Crystal again, for me, probably like the hundredth time, but uh, with my kids for the second or third time, and I was marveling at, in comparison to Arkland here, the way in which so much of that film is about just wandering through this crazy world. Yeah. And they don't, like, sort of draw attention to the fact that there's this big ruin here or these weird creatures. You just are like, whoa, what a cool place. Yeah, that's Arkland my favorite. feels like that, right? There's all these cool things happening in and around it along the journey that are, like, surprising. And Thank you. Yeah, that was, that was kind of the main goal before I had any of the plot hashed out of of sort of these alien arcs and this contest revolving around uh, recovering this debris from a particular uh, alien wreck. Uh, it was, uh, my, my goal was just to make a story about this interesting world that you can spend some time in, that you just really soak in these col- colorful environments and these strange little rooms and forests and valleys and towns. Um, 
that are, yeah, just uh, uh, an interesting place to absorb in. I wanted to make a cozy book. I wanted it to be fun to sit there and and just be a part of for a little while. Now, conventional wisdom, and this is where we're going to bring both uh, Justin and Sam in onto the conversation. Conventional wisdom, when you pick pitching a book is you kind of need a one page breakdown of yes. what it's about and then maybe a couple of pages to show all the beats um be brilliant be brief be gone that's right <laughs> yes um now you managed to be brilliant uh, not brief but not brief <laughs> not brief why don't you guys tell the story why don't sam and scott tell the story of this other thing i'm holding sure um so the other thing that he's holding because this is not a visual medium is yes. the <laughs> is the um, the pitch package that Scott prepared? Um, so this was back in September of 2015, 2014. Was it 2014? Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yes, but basically where this kind of started was that you had come to C4, yes. which is uh, Winnipeg's comic convention, and this was back in the day when it was separated on two different floors. So the artists got you know you could get a little cozier with the artists, and you already had concept art of Arkland on the table and the book was nowhere near yes even still four years away yeah you were just conceptualizing it at that point and I was like wow look at these colorful environments and you had prints of it and you had little business cards and I was like what's this project is it coming soon (laughs) I'm Um, gonna interject and make Justin talk about that moment because we were standing at that while you were setting doing your setup do you remember that no he was putting all those colorful poster environments up for Arkland and we saw the logo treatment that he had up and yeah. I can just remember being like, I thought he just finished this other book. What's he doing? He's already got another one? What is happening? Like, no, that's it. We felt threatened. We felt threatened? That would have been that? right <laughs> after Romulus and Remus issue two. Issue yes. two. So yes. you were... Before, before Giant's Well, before my experimental comic, yeah. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people uh, who respond to the podcast when we're at shows talk about wanting to know more and more about the when do I start promoting the work you hadn't yeah. even really finished what the idea was and you're already promoting yeah and it, it's i have mixed feelings about that because i mean the reception to even just the concept art for this book before i even had any plot or characters uh was really great people were really excited uh about about these environments that i was illustrating um but it's funny because when i started just in my notebook uh jotting down details about this this sci-fi fantasy project i was thinking of I told myself, okay, I'm not even going to tell people about this till it's like done <laughs> or 90% done. And obviously that did not happen because I was too excited. Um, and also I had these finished prints of maybe half a dozen um, uh, environment illustrations for this book that I realized, oh, I could probably make prints of this and, and sell prints of this while I'm working on the book and and get people excited and uh uh, yeah at that time I just wanted to share I didn't even think about it as early promotion I just had done this work and I was really happy with it and I was really excited about it and I just wanted people to see it um whether or not people bought it or not this is the most fantastic story I've ever heard and every word of it's true too that's the fantastic part of it. Going back to like comparing comics to movies, which I really like to do because we always we often compare like some of our books to like you know Pixar shorts. Is kind of Cats yeah. and Tonk. I always think of as like a Pixar short. It's very short, concise, to the point, and then you're done. Um, like a little more bite size, and then kind of like what you're doing. If you think of any big like motion picture, 
they release stills, like production shots along the way, and then eventually a bit of a teaser, which kind of is what the the pitch booklet is. Yeah, kind of. Almost. And oh, and a good segue back yeah. around to the digression I took us on. Yes, um, because, like, and it's really great. Like, I like how you were like, oh, I have mixed feelings, but I mean, if you're excited about something, like, that's what people really like to see, too. And then they know that you're going to, because you're so excited about it, that you're going to actually finish yeah. it, and then they have something to look forward to. I think that was also a big motivator was, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm revealing this to people so as... you have to do it so now. So I have to finish yeah. now, um, <laughs> which... I'm always hesitant to do because, you know, I, priorities change. And I've definitely promoted illustrations in the past that were concept art for projects that I still haven't finished. And maybe I'll get around to them eventually. But uh, I'm always hesitant to promise something that maybe I'll lose interest in. Um, but I was just so dang excited. I mean, and it showed. It definitely showed. And at the time, I was working for a publishing company called Cheesing Publications. And in 2015, they were going to launch their graphic novel imprint, Chi Graphic. And so because I was just getting into the local comics, Comic-Con, and I was getting more familiarized um, with what everyone was doing, I was like, yeah, this is this is something that's totally awesome. And I, I was just like, do you have any, do you have like a pitch document or something that I can read? Yeah. And you were like, do I ever? Yeah, <laughs> and I said, yes, but it's it's like 60 pages long. Uh, that I mostly made for myself, uh, to for myself and for friends to to look at and 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 uh, give me feedback before so I had actually drawn out the comic. It started more of a Bible, like a story. Yeah, I guess Bible so. Yeah, yeah. it was a way pitch. for me to organize this concept art that I'd made because I had never done concept art for a comic before. I just threw myself in it and did it one page at a time. But since I knew this was going to be a two hundred plus page book. I needed to nail down character designs and uh, environment design and creature design and the aesthetics of this world that I was building. I knew I needed to nail that down ahead of time. And the best way to do that was to organize it in this booklet and uh, break down basically chapter by chapter what the plot is going to be uh, so that as concisely as I could have, <laughs> which is, you know, I probably could have been conciser, but this is cool. I digress. Um, and just to explain kind of the difference between a pitch document and like a story Bible, a pitch document is just to give somebody a very brief idea of the world, a bit of the story, um, and the feel of it, but it's, it's just supposed to give you like a glimpse. Whereas a story Bible is something that like, if you were to drop dead tomorrow, I could take this book and I feel like I could do something <laughs> like accurate to It's too late. Land. I'm still alive and You're I already made alive, it. But yeah. You know, so like basically now you know what he's going to, what Justin is after yeah. in the future. Now no, but, I know. Okay. But what this also does, this book that he has is you said, how many pages is it? 60, 60, 60 some, some pages. It's mostly uh, pictures, rules of pictures, the world. illustration, yeah. rules of the world, uh, backstory, flora, flora, like. fauna, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's like an ecology almost yeah. of the whole story. This is the kind of thing that you would give to a showrunner or a movie producer or a publisher and say, okay, um, you're interested in producing another line of stories within the world of Arkland. Yeah. Everything has to point at this, mm -hmm. right? For us. So that to, I could be kind of hands off and, and that's right. take it from there. Right. Anyone who drew their inspiration just from this book would at least be in the same realm as you. Yes. And these things are becoming increasingly important as IP increases in value, as we become a media, you know, a monstrous consumer of media as a culture. 
these things have um, more importance. So you accidentally created actually what now in most people's products. So usually you make your book, it comes out, and then a producer might come to you and say, hey, can you put a series Bible right. together for me? Well, you, I, seem you have do, <laughs> I seem to do that a lot. I accidentally make things that I didn't know other people make, and, and people come to me and say, oh, you did this this cool or this this really sort of modern professional thing. And I said, oh, I just did what felt natural or that was most useful to me. I didn't realize this was like an industry standard or some weird trick or something. I just did what I felt was most useful to my production. And maybe what we're identifying here is that a, a certain amount of clarity combined with a certain amount of madness, right, produces something that other people can understand enough that they want to be part of it and make other parts of it, right? When we're talking about these industry standards, why like other films and other universes build these Bibles and build these IP kind of archives is so that a lay person can look at it and say like, okay, okay, I have to build that set. I got it. I got it figured out, right? But if you're in the process of constructing worlds anyway and trying to be kind of reach for that clarity. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also there. from a publishing standpoint, um, from the point um, where I was coming from, from Chi Graphic, they were kind of looking for graphic novels that were already complete that they could just do uh, the copy proof edit on and kind of send to production. And Little did they know four years later. Little did they know. <laughs> However, seeing this story Bible basically solidified in my mind that you had a strong concept, strong world building, and I could rely on you um, to finish it. Like that, You also had finished other books. And you had also yeah. finished other books, but just see, like this is so different from Romulus and Remus. Yeah, um, and that was my goal from the beginning, was to make something very different in style and in length mm -hmm. and, and world building. Yeah, and it just, I was immediately like, yep, we have to buy it. We're buying this right now. And <laughs> I remember we... Well, thanks. No, no, no worries. I couldn't have done it without you, literally. Well, yeah, I was. It was kind of interesting literally? because yeah. the yeah. wow, <laughs> publishing is funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the publishers they were just kind of diving into graphic fiction, and they didn't really know what to be looking for. And so I was just like, "This is what you're looking for," and they were like, "Well," and I was like, "This is what you're looking for." <laughs> SMBCO tastemaker. Uh, well, and then, like you said. So from this 60-page Yeah, and I, I hope they've summary. been happy with it because it seems to have been one of their most successful books in, in the last year or so. Yes, so this is the, they're into the second printing now. Yes. Right? Yeah. They, yeah. they reprinted it. Um, my understanding was that they reprinted it before even the pre-orders were, were filled. Wow. Um, back in June or, or July, I think. And the book came out in, in May? In June. Yeah, in yeah. June. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a good sign. But yeah, that sign. is a really good sign. And you also had your own copies that you purchased. Yes. Um, because you've been kind of hitting the gas on doing more comic conventions this year with the launch of this book. And how many copies do you have left? So uh, I have... Uh, 10 or 14 left mm. somewhere in that ballpark mm -hmm. um, so none yeah <laughs> yeah because i've seen you at shows because we've done a bunch of shows i saw like, that post together. with the boxes and yeah 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 from your parents storage yes, from yes. It thank being you mom thank packed you dad the ceiling and now there's just one box in that lonely yeah, concrete crazy i yeah I, I had i had no idea that it would sell that well i'm i'm super fortunate and i'm super thankful to to anyone who's who's bought it or just been interested in it, it's been crazy. It's it's been my fastest selling 
product of any kind, uh, illustration, comics, or anything. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. It's been really, it's it, it still feels kind of dreamlike that like I came up with this crazy idea to this to do this really long ambitious project and that I actually finished it and that it turned out pretty close to how I initially imagined it and that people really like it too. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? Can we come back around to you made you gave a shout out to mom and dad at the storage facility? Yes. Right? Yes. Let's talk practically. It took you four years to make it. Yes. Let's give you some time here to give a shout out to all the things along the way that made it possible to do that. I think some people think, you know, oh, I can't make a book. I can't write a book. I can't draw a comic, right? Because I could only do it a little bit at a time. Yes. Right? Well, if I'm being completely honest, I took a year off. I took uh, 2017 off, basically. Um, I, I quit my previous job at a restaurant in early 2017 uh, because I had some uh, some smaller commissions lined up, but then I also had this contract for Arkland that I needed to finish, and so I knew the I felt like the stars were aligning. That okay, I feel like I can afford to take a year off and put the pedal to the metal and really finish this book. The majority of the book itself I produced uh, in 2017 and took a year off to do so, but prior to that, between 2014 and 2017. I was slowly writing it, uh, conceptualizing, doing concept art, um, and yeah, really fleshing out the world and character development of Arkland. And figuring out your process too, right? Because you yeah, it was a it was a new process than my previous books. Um, I had never hand inked a comic before. This was a new digital style um, that I was kind of researching from. You know, drawing inspiration from other illustrators, other illustrators and animators and comic creators uh, that emphasize uh, sort of dynamic lighting a lot more than my previous books that were a lot more sort of just uh, solid black shadows, very Mike Mignola inspired um, into something that I felt like felt more like my own uh, style. Justin, you've got a style. How did yeah. it happen? Style. Your was... style's evolved, though. I've definitely noticed that. That, like, that. Oh, dig into that. Tell us more of what you've seen. Oh, well, I don't know if I can be specific, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, everyone, it's really interesting to, to watch people's style evolve, but then still see that, that weird little sort of nucleus or whatever you want to call it that, that holds it all together that, that yeah, your, your artwork from 10 years ago compared to now looks different and is as likely improved but that there you still have those those certain sensibilities that are very attached to the kind of art that you make um the core of it is still yeah, the same somehow. it's this weird dna well, it is you mm -hmm. right yeah and i think that's something that you can never change i mean i guess you can try really hard to change that and but uh if you're if you're still operating in a semi-natural way you're still creating art in a in a pretty natural way that it's it still kind of relates to each other. Hmm. I've always thought style, kind of like that, uh, the saying about the per your personality is a makeup of the the ten people you hang out with or yeah. whatever kind of thing. Um, especially like early on, I felt like my style kind of derived from like the ten 
the 10 big artists that I really aspire to be like. Yeah. But those 10 artists are always kind of rotating or just the, the, type, yeah. the style of art that I'm, I'm into is always kind of rotating. Yeah, absolutely. And I can I, relate to that. Yeah. So I think it just, you know, you're always, you're always grabbing from the world. And as long as you're always kind of looking at new things and appreciating new things, you'll grow as well. I hate that idea that like you should work in a vacuum or you should try mm. to just be you. I don't think that, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it works. It yeah. doesn't work well for me anyways. I mean, I mean, we all, as, as artists, we all kind of work in a vacuum because a lot of us make work in isolation, you know, in our homes or in our studios uh, and then put it out into the world. Um, but you're never really in a vacuum. You're looking up, you know, drawing references online. You're, you're browsing Instagram or, or wherever uh, to, to draw inspiration from or looking at new books or watching new shows or things like that. Um, yeah, it, I think it would be, it'd be, I think it'd be very difficult to actually make art entirely isolated. Um, I mean, even then you're still drawing from the world around you and, and what you know in sort of nature and life and things like that. So what are you working on now? Always consume. Well, now I am. Where are those influences now? Uh, project wise, I've been working on Boreal, which is my, uh, weekly, fantasy comic which is very sort of uh arkland uh arkland-esque in in style and tone um i'd say it's it's a is little it set in the same world no. potentially different time it's it's definitely a different world it's okay. where arkland is more sci-fi fantasy boreal is definitely more uh just fantasy um, yeah, and it's interesting that it's something kind of stylistically and tonally similar to Arkland, but a completely different format, whereas Arkland is just a one-off giant graphic novel. Boreal is this weekly comic strip published by the Manitoban, uh, University of Manitoba student newspaper, uh, that you can read for free in their newspaper or on their website at, uh, uh, yeah, on the Manitoban website. Um... Yeah, so that's what I've been working on week to week. Uh, is this is this fantasy comic that? Uh, yeah, that's been that's been really fun and really different from what I'm used to. I'm not used to working on on a weekly thing. I'm used to conjuring up these giant stories that I spend a million years working on and that I put out as a single book. This one is a race week to week. Right? Yeah, and so it's. I mean, I can. I look at it as an experiment. I try to make something of quality every week, and I try to. It's a. It's an overarching story, so that it's a. You know, it's a sort of. It's a separate conflict every week, or a separate sort of slice of this world every week, but it's all this single journey of this uh, one character, this young woman, Naoma, uh, going through this, this snowy forest and fending off monsters as she goes. Uh, trying to reach her her village and her family, um, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 an experimental format for me because I'm not used to making something uh, on a weekly basis. Um, and eventually, you're going to be able to release this as a book. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I formatted this. It's in these sort of long vertical strips that each uh, each entry of Boreal. Uh, can be divided up pretty cleanly into a two-page spread uh, that I will, uh, yeah, hopefully release as a finished book when it's all done, when it all wraps up uh, in May of 2019. 
Um, so the nuts and bolts of this, the, what size are you making these files at? So, this, so that you can yeah, print so them small as a comic strip and big as a... These are like 600 DPI files, so they are big enough to be, and sized to be a traditional comic, uh, modern comic uh, page format, um, which is was just sort of, uh, sort of an automatic approach that uh, rather than adding too many complications to it, I'll just make it size to fit a traditional comic format, but also if I maybe have the opportunity to pitch it to another publisher that that size is maybe more uh, agreeable to their to the rest of their books if it's in a traditional comic size. Um, yeah, but who curiosity knows? with like uh, a strip like this in a newspaper, does a newspaper have any rights or own any part of Boreal? Is it 100% yours? They do uh, sort of within a limited time. Um, yeah, the Manitoban... So I, I the Manit uh, Boreal does not uh, exist. Uh, the 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 comic strips, the individual strips of Boreal, uh, don't exist on my website. They're on the Manitobans website. Uh, but uh, yeah, they've been they've been great to agree that uh, once the once the full series has finished up, that uh, I'll be able to reproduce it as long as I nice. sort of credit the Manitoban as being the original source of publication. As mankind totters before a thing that multiplies faster than it can be killed. You have a question? Oh, Dan's got a question. I, I, what I say, I, what I love about this is you've kind of taken into account, not only are you, you doing a weekly format and like making a new comic every week, but you're also taking into account the fact that people may not read this in order or they may not read yes. it every week. You have a little, a really cool little recap yeah. and just very simple symbols on the side. I that, love that. That was part of the, I was saying that this is kind of an experiment. It's, it's a weekly comic that also has an overarching story. It's not just sort of a typical, what you would think of being a newspaper comic strip just sort of maybe like a one and done joke or something like that. Uh, that yeah, I've I've got these little hints at in in the top corner of every strip. It's got a previously on, which is supposed to be kind of uh, overly simplistic and kind of humor humorously obscure. That it's just got these six little icons of the main story beats that happened in the last issue that you would probably struggle to decipher. <laughs> but at the very least, it hints at there was something that happened, something of significant that happened last week, and or you know, even just simply that there was something last week that you can go back and catch up on to fill you in on the story. And at the end of every strip, there's a to be continued to let you know that there was something before this and there will be something after this. Um, yeah, every week. So uh, I've mentioned Rom Space Night many times on this podcast, but deep in my comics DNA is another sci-fi uh, action slash superhero comic from the distant past called Dreadstar. Jim Starling wrote and illustrated Dreadstar. And he uh, often, when asked about it, uh, so dear listener, Dreadstar, every issue of Dreadstar of the comic started with two pages of fresh drawings that recapped the entire story so far. Yeah. Right? So it would sum up in a couple of pages. Wow. Now, what's amazing is if you read the collections of Dreadstar, they left those in. Right? So you're reading a collection that requires you to have no summation. That's so, funny. It's like when you get a, like a box set of a TV show and each, you know, and it's playing all the all the episodes one after the other, but each episode still has a previously Pre on. Yeah, previously on. I, I just watched this. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> this, but this notion that every, the reason is that every comic is potentially somebody's first comic. 
Yes. Right? And you want to give them as complete an experience as is possible given, you know, the time yeah. and the space. And, that I've, they have. and I repeat dialogue in a lot of strips. I sort of, I try to repeat Naoma's motivation for going through this forest and the sort of the endless maze-like nature of this forest and the existence of these these uh, sort of menacing beasts that are plaguing this forest. Uh, I try to reiterate that every strip. And so in the final format, I'm probably going to do a lot of rewrites to make it work in a more complete format and remove, but also maybe even add some dialogue um, in given its different format. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the sword? Sure. What about it? You I have mean, a, a peculiar design with this big empty space in the middle of the blade. So the. But can't you can't you see what's happening in the comic? So Naoma's sword is her rabbit companion flocks uh, removes removes her her rabbit foot and and the rabbit foot becomes this mystical sword, sword is which rabbit. is one of one of many Whoa. of these magic rabbit powers that Naoma is bestowed. Uh, by her friend Fox, uh, the 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 most uh, so the sword blade are the two ears. I see yes, now. yes, and the the hilt of the sword oh. is the face of the rabbit. Um, it's in the details, folks. Yes, it's really in the details. Um, yeah, she gets a lot of interesting powers from from Phlox, this magic rabbit. Um, the most uh, uh, the most uh, sort of story driven uh, power is this power of re- resurrection. That that's kind of uh, her her main uh, quirk in the story, or the, the main sort of uh, plot gimmick, for lack of a better word, is that uh, she is going through this forest and facing all these different beasts, uh, and she doesn't always win. These these beasts sometimes kill her, but uh, her companion flocks brings her to the underworld where she's able to crawl back out of. And so it was a, a story not just about... Uh, um, surmounting these obstacles, but also about failing and retrying and forcing yourself to continue even after you fail, you know, two, three, you know, half a dozen times. Is this um, your video game player DNA? Yeah, yeah, actually, this this yeah. idea was an idea I had, like a lot of my comic ideas, was originally an idea I had for a video game, which... If there's any video game developers out there, feel feel free to try to feel free to try to make a boreal uh, video game where when you die you just go into this subterranean realm filled with rabbits and tombstones. <laughs> feel free. Feel free. Says have yeah. it. Have at it. Um, which is also very interesting because that ties back into Arkland, which uh, the dreamscapes and the religion almost iconography of Arkland. Uh, yes. Full length book. Uh, there is a lot of video game references in it. Yeah. Uh, video games, I, I mean, it, yeah, it goes without saying. I, I love video games a lot. Um, I'm really inspired by video games uh, in my comics, uh, and I like blending, I like drawing inspiration from things outside of comics, animation, standalone illustration. Um, yeah, and video games. You got that good way of describing Arkland. It is. It is the Legend of Zelda meets District Nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is a fantasy world turned on its head by these alien arcs. Um, Which immediately paints a picture in my mind, knowing you know, yeah. knowing those two franchises. That's a great way to kind of get me hooked and wanting to know. Yeah. What's yeah, in and there. for the dear listener yeah. who, you know, when I was first starting out, I always found this like way that authors or 
or creatives would have to reduce their work to somebody else's work. I found that so problematic, so sure. troubling. Um, but now I realize that its real strength is just and you're I talking still, to the audience, right? When you're talking to other creators and you're sitting down, you know, heart to hearting about what your story's really about, you dig down into the deep stuff. But when you're just trying to get someone to get the flavor, yeah, it's really important that you can boil your story in a down single to, sentence, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I can see the pros and cons of that, but uh, it's fun when you're able to say something like The Legend of Zelda meets District 9 because every time I say that to someone for the first time, they're, they're caught off guard by how strange that combination seems. <laughs> um, which, you know what, if I'm being perfectly honest, that kind of just boils down to something like Star Wars, which I'm okay with. You know, th there's also a lot of Star Wars in Arkland. Earlier I said I didn't want to call it an epic because... I really wanted to make a book that is a big sci-fi fantasy adventure, but it's also just kind of a slice of life. Um, it, at the end of the day, it's just kind of like, wasn't that a weird, crazy week we had? Let's all go back to doing whatever it is we do. Uh, yeah. Life goes on. You know, I'll bet my badge right now. We haven't seen the last of those weirdies. Is there more Arkland in your future? Uh, a lot of people have asked me that, and I have no plans for an Arkwill sequel. Ar Ark Arkwill. Arkland sequel. Arkwill. Do I have a Arkwell? title now? Arkwall. Yeah. Okay, um, and if you were to do a sequel, would you do a direct sequel or just another story set in the same world? Because you have this great world all established. You it could do some other It might be like a combination of the two, but, but I'm already getting ahead of myself because I planned Arkland, which is why it's 264 pages that I didn't want it broken up into separate issues. I wanted to make something that was the whole story all at once. Um, and again, comparing it to something like District 9, there's a lot of people that out there, you still find it on the on the internet that people are saying, when's District 10 coming out or whatever it would be called? <laughs> and that kind of wasn't the point of that movie. And that's kind of the same point that I wanted to have with Arkland is it leaves a lot of mysteries hanging and you're supposed to kind of just accept that and let that be okay. So, yes, I could continue the world and build on it, but I would need to be careful about what I want to answer and what I would want to leave mysterious. Let me be a ruthless capitalist for a second now. Though. Let's take all of our Please artist do. hats off and let's just be like, hey, you want to be a full-time artist? Yes. Why don't you sell more of what's selling? Like, our client, people yeah. liked it. Why not? Give well, them more I, I guess because that's not what I prioritize. I guess it's I almost like you have this thing called integrity. Is that what it's called? You have to whisper it in the <laughs> studio. Integrity. Integrity. Um, supposed to leave that by the door. Yeah. <laughs> well, after after work. Like a pile of discarded jackets. <laughs> well, after working on, on this giant book for five years, I kind of want to do something else. And I've, I've got dozens and dozens of ideas that I've been waiting to get around to, to try my hand at. And so I'm... Uh, which is the same reason people ask me about continuing my first comic series, Romeo's and Remus, with an issue three or an issue four. Uh, and I'm just excited to move on to other things. I'm, and I hope other people are too. Um, yeah, I'm constantly pivoting into other projects, yeah. other genres, other things. And I'm often asked, the reason I asked you so like vehemently is because yes. I get asked this constantly, like when is the next this coming up? Yeah. And I was like, no, you have it already. You're holding it, <laughs> right? It was a... Complete story in one volume, that was sort yeah. of the point. And I often am asking myself when I take the artist hat off and put the business hat on, if enough people are asking for more of something, why would I resist that? Sure. Right? But then I'm, the part of me that sits down to work has, has already done that. Like the thing that I did, the reason I made it, the impetus to do it, 
is spent. Yeah, if if there was more to tell, I would have told it. I would I would have included that in in the initial initial uh, book or book series, whatever it may be. Um, but it yeah, it it reached a point where it sort of it's capped off. Um, and I tend to plan my comics as these single story arcs. Again, talking about Boreal, which is why it's kind of new and experimental for me to do something that is weekly and that it will wrap up with uh, 26 uh, comic strips altogether um, because that's the, uh, that's the Manitobans print run for the, that coincides with the uh, University of Manitoba's uh, school year. Um, but I'm I'm still wondering if I should leave it open for the Manitobans next print cycle if they want to have me back or continue it on my own, um, or do I just want to close that door and and if you know if they do you know ask me to come back for an, another year's worth of comic strips, do I do Boreal Part Two or do I try something else? Well, and here's something that's never that I've never seen, but my my business hat is on now. The last five weeks of Boreal should contain ads for where they can buy the collected edition. I don't know if the Manitoban would allow me to do that. Bet they would. <laughs> Bet they would. Yeah. Because they're, you know, it's done. It's already run yeah. its course for you. Why wouldn't they help, you know, you know, it's like you say, you're yeah. helping them, let them help you. Right. And you just, you know, in the previously or the to be continued. That's right. I've got that little, to be continued slot that you've got lots that of, I need to you've fill. got lots mm-hmm. of space where you could say. And the thing is, if you, if you do suggest it, then that might start the conversation of, well, maybe we'll have you back for next year. Scott. Yeah. Right. Um, Hopefully. And what's really great about this, about Boreal too, is that this is like your job. It's a, yeah. it's a job you've been yeah, this hired is not to a, do. This is not a volunteer comic. This is the, I believe the first paid comic position at the Manitoban um, do you go there to work? No, I, I work from you home. You work at home? Yeah, which is weird that uh, actually I just got a message uh, a few weeks ago that I was invited to the, the Manitoban holiday party. And I kind of, oh. I, I completely forgot that I'm actually a staff member because <laughs> I just, I just work from home and I, I, That's so neat, I email though. in a, a weekly comic strip. Because this is this is like a vestige of a bygone era where as I know, a kid, it's, I'm so jealous you of it. Whip open your Saturday um, comic section, and you're like, someday I'm going to draw comics that are going to go in there, and that isn't that isn't the reality anymore because there are other you know mm-hmm. online has become such a big platform, and there are other places you can post your work. But, but um, then to have this print, how many issues of the Manitoban are printed? Uh, like in a year? You mean copies? The copies, yeah. Like copies? What, oh, yeah. I'm not sure. Copies. Like what is their distribution? Because the there's actual circulation. student body of the... Like there's a... What's this? Like tens of thousands of students. Yeah. Yes, but the Manitoban is distributed all throughout Winnipeg. Yeah. So I'm just... I was trying to extrapolate what their numbers are. I bet we could look at it. They must post somewhere. They might. We, our yeah. producer is looking up these numbers so that we can say them with authority. Um, but it is still... It's something, you know, when you're... And I know that you come from fine arts. Yeah, I was a, a student. At, I was a student at the U of M, and I yes. and I actually worked for uh, the Manitoban as the design associate doing layout for the paper. And I think people just find it unique for you know a a, a weird fantasy action comic in a newspaper is not something that you typically that takes see up nowadays. Three quarters yeah. of yeah. page. The format too is like what five by twelve. It's like. Ridiculous. Yeah, that actually that that's pretty. It's a lot of accurate. real estate. 
Yeah. Also, um, so and you can't Justin miss has it. Just a good eye for dimensions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's almost as if he's in this business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really great. It's and it's it also harkens back to, um, like the not early nineteenth century, like Charles Dickens, who's oh. like oh, serializing yeah. his novels and people being able to get like a. Did snap you just of, compare me to Charles Dickens? I sure did. He was very <laughs> he was very eccentric, Manny. I liked him. I like him a lot. Um, but I love, I just love anything that kind of goes back to that where people are be, are able to engage um, with something that's much bigger in that little kind of snippet style. And we're accustomed to that with television, but kind of go back to the print medium. And we think medium. we're accustomed to it with the internet, but there's there's no. a different, there's a tactile, like even though I'm done the with Boreal, when, I put, it. Yeah, when yeah. I put it aside, there it is to look at again. Yeah. yeah. Right? And the thing about the internet is that it's infinite. Yeah. And it's, and that that's so exhausting, but this is just like, ah. Yeah, gonna soak it up. Yeah, you can you can <laughs> grab a, a you can grab a copy every week and cut it out and make your own book out of it. Oh, maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> and also, don't sell them out of your not trunk. Not to sell, not to sell, just to have, just, just to, to just have. to. Yeah. Now we know what Jeff, what Scott does. I used to do that with <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes. I would cut out oh, to Calvin yeah. and Hobbes Sundays yeah. and keep Put them in a little yeah. a little, little scrapbook. Yeah. yeah. You see. You see, your stupid minds, stupid, stupid. If you want to actually show your appreciate your deeper appreciation for Boreal, though, I recommend emailing the Manitoban and being like, "Listen, this comic is great because that is what helps get these like not only maintain the real estate that is that is taken up of comics, but also helps the creator and helps the paper to see, yeah, this is a successful thing. People are actually contacting us about it, and you can contact them at." graphics at themanitoban.com directed to Evan Trombley who's the graphics editor and be like hey sup this comic it's real great I oh, want knows. more and this is he's why he's my boss he's the one who hired me no I know yeah. but he needs to know more so okay. my assumption is that the Manitoban is uh, you know it runs on a particular budget and is part, partially grant supported and partially university supported right uh, or is it I'm all not sure from whatever it is they're allocating funds based on engagement in the paper. So if you really want to help encourage the sure, paper yeah. to hire more people to do more comics. I mean, heck, it couldn't hurt. Yeah, reaching out and saying, mm -hmm. hey, I really like this. This is a good thing, yeah. right? Passive consumerism means that you have to take what's given. Yeah. But if you're an active consumer, right, letting people know what you liked, then sometimes. Hey, University yeah. of Manitoba Press, graphic novels, they're in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're in. Uh. Uh, I did a, one of our projects that we did for the University of Michigan got reprinted through the mm -hmm. Manitoba. Oh, oh cool. Nice. Yeah, so um, so they know. They know about comics. They're just getting there. Yeah. It's, institutions good. are slow to move. I mean, they hired me in the first place, so they're obviously excited about my work and, and yeah, and uh, excited about my previous projects and wanted to see that in their own publication. Well, and I think you also had probably established a track record working at the paper as someone yeah. who could work on a deadline, work under stress, yeah. work with creative oversight. And I had done a previous comic, uh, Okasamoso, mm -hmm. uh, for The Uniter back in 2015. So after I worked at the Manitoban, I worked at The Uniter, which is the University of Winnipeg student newspaper, uh, and I did a... a a weekly that turned into a bi-weekly comic strip uh, called Okasamoso. And I think that was one of their first clues that they they knew my work previously, but hey, this could work in a newspaper format. So you're less of a Charles Dickens and more of a Peter Parker is what I'm sensing. Just w working That's with That's a huge jump. So is yeah. it though? Yeah. Is it? With great power. Uh, comes pizza? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Um, all right, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I would like to thank all my guests, including my producer, for chiming in on why it's important to join the fight and make comics. Mm-hmm.